This is The Social Geek Radio Network. Hello, geeks, and welcome to Social Geek Radio. I'm Jack Munson, your host and marketing conciliary. Today's guest is Shelly Sun. And a quick note before we get started. The rumors are true. A format change to Social Geek is coming. Check it out September 12th with franchise rock stars Matt Haller from the IFA, Kristen Pahacek from Massage Lux, and Abby Fogel from Unleashed Brands. Today's show is brought to you by ServiceMinder, Digital HR, and Consumer Fusion. Consumer Fusion helps franchises attract customers online with their AI-powered reputation platform. With more than 70,000 illegitimate negative reviews removed, Consumer Fusion allows franchise brands to maximize their digital footprint with reputation management, local SEO, and social media, including automated owners' responses and integrated review generation tools. Get started with a one-month free pilot and learn why brands trust Consumer Fusion with their online reputation. Visit ConsumerFusion.com pilot. Consumer Fusion, keeping reviews honest. Shelly Sun is the CEO and founder of Bright Star Care, making her return to Social Geek right now. Hey, Shelly, how are you? I'm fantastic, Jack. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a few uh, a few minutes since we've seen each other. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks at the fan event with IFA in DC. Likewise. So before we get into some of the changes and some of the evolution and the new innovations that you are working on right now, give everyone a, a bit of an overview of Bright Star Care. Thank you. So Bright Star Care helps take care of moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas in their home. Uh, we um, found I founded the business in 2002, and we started growing through franchising in 2006. We have 365 uh, locations throughout 40 states, and are taking care of between 15 and 20,000 um, individuals every single week. We've been blessed to see our expansion on the skilled care side by um, having one of the COVID vaccination clinical trials be uh, performed by. Bright Star offices across the country, and one of the COVID therapeutic drugs also um, be brought to market because of the clinical trials that we uh, participated in. All of our locations are Joint Commission accredited. We stand for a higher standard of care, uh, nurse-led at the local level. So the past couple of years have been extremely busy for all of you, it sounds like. And I'm just doing the math real quick here. You've got a big anniversary coming up this year, 20 years. (laughs) We do. can't get away with saying I'm 29 anymore when my business is 20 years <laughs> Well, old. no, you, you started the place when you were nine. What are you talking about? Of course. <laughs> exactly. Child prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sounds like you've had um, a lot of things going on in the past couple of years, but it also sounds like you've got some new innovation and, and maybe some evolution coming our way. Tell us about the upcoming changes. Sure. Thank you. So we we really have recognized that we are unique and different in our space in terms of knowing our quality, having access to all of our data, 
we leaned in even during COVID while things were crazy, trying to get PPE, keep people safe, get our franchises PPP loans. We leaned in and spent money on a six-figure healthcare study with Avalier Health that validated what we suspected, which was across 30 healthcare um, kind of diagnoses that we were saving on average 13,000 per member and up to $30,000, $7 million of savings on um, um, heart failure, uh, CHF across the population for the same period of time using us versus not using us. And um, we, and Avalier has access to all of the Medicare claims, a claims part A and part B data. So, you know, very comparative, most, you know, important study that's ever been able to be done. And so recognizing that we are beginning to have opportunities as more care is moving into the home, we are nurse led, we do have data and our data is favorable that we're bending the cost curve and making a difference in people's lives, but also ultimately how much payers have to pay. Um, We recognize that with the pandemic, things have accelerated. More care is gonna move to the home and out of the hospital. More care is gonna move out of skilled nursing facilities into the home. Who's paying for care is widening Um, in terms of Medicare Advantage plans beginning in 2018, changing to pay for supplemental health um, in the home in terms of personal care workers providing hours of service to avoid an admission, a readmission, a fall, an incident, skilled nursing facility days, emergency room visit, ambulance services. And so knowing that we have data to say we do those things really well and heading into a period of time now inflationary and likely a recession, how do we help care be more affordable to more people? Medicare Advantage will be a way for us to to, um, increase the addressable market, but it has to be a part of our mix, not all of our mix, because today Medicare Advantage rates by most plans are not sustainable for the long term. They're too low to do the quality that's necessary. But, but do we need to lean in since recognizing that the client acquisition process has changed for those that are using a Medicare Advantage benefit and be a leader and an early adopter of Medicare Advantage plans and know that with data, we can go back to those plans, show them how we have saved them money so they don't move to an inferior brand that is not nurse-led and is not joint commission accredited. And so um, knowing that we want more care in the home, knowing we have a willingness and an appetite for risk. I still own 100% of my company, right? So it's still my balance sheet. Mm -hmm. I don't have any private equity involved in my brand. It's still mine. So have an ability to put some things at risk to do some risk share programs with hospital systems, with Medicare home health, with payers is something that we are taking on and doing that. We need more scale to be able to do that. So what you're probably alluding to is we just announced this week that we um, purchased one of um, my longer standing franchisees, David Strasberg, who had operations in Florida and Alabama, eight locations, a pretty material size business um, that is our second one in 2022. So now we have 13 locations that are company owned. We have three more transactions planned with franchisees before the end of the year. And we already have a few on deck for first half of 23. We are taking an intentional march where franchisees are choosing to exit 
um, that we can be the best partner for their teams and allow us to really learn, innovate, scale, help all the other franchisees, but go through this risk sharing model where we have to see what works and there's going to be some give and take. There's going to be some wins. There's going to be some losses. Franchisees probably don't want to do it until they know there's going to be a win. And I think that's what, where company-owned stores can be very valuable in doing some of the innovation, doing some of the piloting on technology, on payer programs, on risk management protocols, on clinical models. And then once those are proven out, be able to take that to the entire network. But we do envision moving from these 13 locations to, you know, 20% of 365 um, over the next three or four years. I love that idea of you taking on the risk because I see this in other franchise systems who shall remain nameless, where someone comes up with some ideas of being very innovative and wanting to experiment, but they're going to do it on someone else's dime. And that sounds good, but it's not so great for the franchisee. And also you don't get to control what's happening, whether you're talking about technological innovations or working with uh, new types of payers or whatever your operational process is, you get to actually control what's happening with these 13 plus uh, units as you're moving into some of these new areas. So I really like that idea. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and and I knew that I could only control the outcome and the, the extent of the risk if it was my team, it was my personnel, it was my caregivers yeah. and what their incentives and oversight was because joint employer says, I can't be doing that for the franchisees. And I had franchisees say, well, if you want to risk, if you want to test some risk models, then cover me on the downside. Well, I'm unwilling to put my balance sheet to work covering on the downside, something I can't control. Right. I mean, we're, you know, we are 20 years old as a brand. We opened our first franchise location in 2016. So we're 16 years of franchise experience. And you've been around franchising like I have, right? We're going through that period of time where we have amazing franchisees, but there's variations in wanting to follow the model. And there's likely some franchisees that are the equivalent of a McDonald's franchisee that after PPP money, they don't have as much motivation because they have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in the bank potentially, right? And they may only want to be open 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. They don't want to serve breakfast. They don't want to serve dinner, right? And it doesn't work when you're part of a national brand. And those that still have the fire in the belly as I do, still doing this 20 years, I don't care what's on my balance sheet. I still want to help as many moms and dads, grams and grandpas. And I want to transform healthcare because it needs to be transformed, those are the franchisees I want to lock arms with and grow with. And those that are not, not aligned with that vision, then, you know, I would like to be able to help them monetize and pay them very fairly and help their teams have an amazing succession plan and have them become company owned. Those franchisees that are going to get fully into all of the standard setting, and we're going to start inspecting what we expect. We have high brand expectations. We're building up the teams to inspect what we expect just to make sure there's consistency because we're going to go sell our network for very large scale hospital at home programs or skilled nursing facility program alternatives or more Medicare Advantage. And as you do that and you're willing to take a risk as a brand, you can only do that if you have confidence that there's adherence to all the brand standards of consistency across the network. And it's what 
franchising is about. But my experience is in these early stages of an entrepreneurial journey, you have entrepreneurial franchisees that want to do their own thing. And they equate being independently owned and operated with being autonomous. Well, you can't be autonomous if you're not following brand standards. You can have some you can have some variability as to mix, but you still have to follow all of the brand standards. And there's populations of, of members or clients served that you can't ignore while you're going after and trying for some incremental new ones. Back in a moment after this word from Digital HR, powered by Exults. In today's market, there's a surplus of open positions all vying for the attention of top talent. But developing a consistent, effective recruiting strategy is a challenge, even with an in-house human resources department. The Digital HR team will put together a customized game plan based on the job requirements and the number of candidates you need. Tactics include website enhancements and ATS integrations, on-site content optimization, digital press releases, social and search ads, and more. Learn more now at digitalhr.com. Tell me about some of the people that changing the way uh, home care is working. Is it new groups of people? Is it people of different age groups? Where do you see the vision of this expanding to? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, we have we are kind of the high quality brand within the home care space on the personal care side. I think we're, we're the highest quality in all the spaces we serve. But let's talk about personal care because it's discretionary spending. And if it's all private pay and that's the only payer source we're focused on, which was true up until probably five years ago, we were all private pay, some long term care insurance. And we have been intentionally expanding to serve more of our veterans. God bless them for, you know, keeping mm-hmm. us safe. And particularly what's you know been going on for the last couple of decades of having to keep us safe at home after September 11th. And so wanting to make sure we're leaning in to make sure our veterans have the highest quality of care, but utilizing their benefit to, to do that. Now, I think Medicare Advantage is that next wave of increasing the addressable market where everything can't be, doesn't have to be fully private pay. And so letting our seniors have access to their benefit to make their dollars go further, maybe it's the top 20% of household incomes or their children's household incomes, but not just the top 1%. We've got to really make sure that the highest quality is available to more people by tapping into payer diversification, risk models. Um, and that's the innovation that I'm looking for. You know, what got us, you know, what got us to probably five years ago was really focusing on that being the premium care brand, but it meant that it was only accessible to the top echelon of our country in terms of paying for it. And I'd love to see our brand open its eyes that you still can, can balance. You need a system sustainably profitable. And so to me, it's probably impossible to deliver high quality on 100% Medicaid or 100% Medicare Advantage rates. It, you just can't do it. You can't be nurse led. You can't have joint commission accreditation. Yeah. All those things cost money. But could you be 60% private pay, 15% um, uh, 
Veterans Administration based on that population and 30% Medicare Advantage, where you help more people tap into high quality and Medicare Advantage dollars become part of their budget for home care. And we do some of the hours that are over and above what Medicare Advantage would pay for. And to me, on our personal care side of the business, that becomes a very healthy balance. On the skilled care, it's mostly commercial pay right now, and it's a smaller part of our business model. Between national accounts and locally sourced, it's probably about 20%, 25% of our business model. I think if I look into the future, that will not be fee for service, where we get paid for every hour of work that we do based upon a pre-guaranteed hourly rate. We will get paid less if the quality isn't good, and much more of our quality is how our brand is. And so for our franchisees, that be, should be more profitable, but less certain. And quality, as it should, will win the day. And the blend between the variability on skilled and the diversification of payer on personal care, I think increases the addressable market, makes our franchisees' businesses larger. And then I think what we hope to do with our Bright Star owned or BSO strategy is pilot not just payer models, but also back office centralization models so that we can help our franchisees understand what needs to be local and what can be centralized if they have two, three, four, five, ten territories so that we can help them save money on back office and they can put that money more into taking a lower rate on Medicare Advantage and helping more families receive high quality care. And some of them will be private pay consumers after those hours um, are used up. And I also see that eventually there could be a ripple effect in the entire industry because it isn't just about your brand. It's about the entire industry. Other brands could follow and offer other services and and higher quality of care than maybe what they offer right now to even more people. And, you know, like you said, it isn't going to be a hundred percent. It's never going to be perfect, but if we can keep moving forward and help more people along the way, I think that is a a fantastic idea. And uh, we look forward to watching this evolve. And um, we, we don't know what the next couple of years are going to look like, but it certainly won't look like what it looks like today. Um, so do you see that as well as something that with the, the looming recession and uncertain times that there will be more consumers who, um, are, are looking for options and they're looking for alternatives and maybe what they would have done with, let's say an aging parent five or six years ago, they're just not going to do that today, maybe due to other world events, but also just due to economic events. I think everyone's going to want the same thing. I think more people are going to want their parents at home because we did have some tragic issues occur during the pandemic in nursing homes. So I think large group settings is not going to be desirable. And so if there's more care desired in the home and higher quality and better quality of life, I think is the desired eventuality for all of us with our parents and grandparents Well, then if that's what everyone wants, how do we help people pay for it? And I think government will be a larger payer. I think health insurance being the administrators over Medicare Advantage will be better payers. And and I think things will look very differently. And whether it takes two years or 10 years, I don't think anyone can say when, but it's no longer an if. More care will be delivered in the home. 
quality will matter. People will be reimbursed upon the outcomes they deliver, not the hours of care that they deliver. It's going to take innovation, it's going to take technology, and it's going to take data. And the likelihood of vertical integration is high so that the payers have better control over the care that's actually rendered that gives them kind of a rinse and repeat kind of model that if more things that are being paid for like home care are done, it actually increases their profit margin, but they may not have a one-to-one -one person to pay for our kind of services, but they need to get creative using the actuarial data to know paying for some of the care, not for every population, but for certain populations like COPD, um, for um, uh, chronic heart failure, diabetes, Alzheimer's, there's going to be certain pockets where you know your population health have very adverse cost consequences. Those last two years of life, the last six months of life, what are the things that we can do better as a country? Putting more people in the home to help coordinate that with social determinants of health. And I think Brightstar and other brands that are willing to step up to the costs that are necessary for nurse-led care, technology-enabled care, where we know if there's been a change in condition on every shift because the technology that we've deployed and being, well to, being willing to be held accountable to some type of accreditation like Joint Commission. I think consumers and outcomes can both win in that journey and will. Excellent. So much to think about, and I appreciate everything you've shared with us today. If people have additional questions about this new program or other things that Brightstar is working on, where can we send them? Thanks, Jack. Brightstarcare.com. Excellent. Thanks so much, Shelly, and I will see you soon in D.C. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Before we go, a quick word from ServiceMinder. ServiceMinder is the platform for managing and operating home services brands, from tracking marketing efforts to delivering professional online proposals directly to clients, to lead capture, to automating daily tasks. ServiceMinder provides unique tools and integrations designed to make your brand stand out from competitors. See why ServiceMinder currently supports more than 50 home services franchise brands and integration partners. Book a demo today at serviceminder.io. And thanks for listening to Social Geek. Your comeback of a lifetime starts now. This is the Social Geek Radio Network.